0: What do you think of when you see this image? The flag is symbolic of a nation, correct? You think this is the United States of America, this is our flag, and so it reminds us of our country. How about when you see this flag? I would assume you can identify that as the Mexican flag, and so it makes you think of the Mexican uh, country, the country of Mexico, and then the culture that is, goes along with that. Uh, do you recognize this symbol? That's for uh, medical personnel. We recognize that as a, a symbol that draws our attention to medicine. I'm pretty sure you'll recognize this symbol. How about this one? You see that Ichthus? Representative of the acronym Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And now the symbol of the cross is universally recognized whether it be simple as the one on the screens before you, or more ornate, which you will see in different places, most people will recognize the cross as a symbol of Christianity at large. It symbolizes something. When you boil it all down, what do we stand for? When we boil it all down, who are we? The Apostle Paul gives us an ample, clear answer to this. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I invite you to look, please, at verse 2. 1 Corinthians 2. 2. For I decided to, do, to know nothing among you except... Will you say it with me, please? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is what I want to know about you. I want to know do you know Jesus Christ and do you know what His crucifixion was about? I want to know of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, take a look at the next book to your right. Actually, two books go from 1 Corinthians through 2 Corinthians into the book of Galatians. And take a look at chapter 6 of Galatians and let's again see Paul's answer to the question of who are we? He says in verse 14 of Galatians 6, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's letting us know that the cross is the symbol that captures who He is. It is through the crucified Christ that the world holds no sway over us any longer. I don't need to keep up with the Joneses. I don't need to be swayed by the philosophy of the world. The, the, the broken theological trends of the world. They hold no sway over me. Why? Because I know Jesus Christ And Him crucified. It is the cross that defines who I am. It is the cross that defines the forgiveness of my sin. It is the cross that defines what's next for me. This morning as we worship God through the study of His Word, we want to be reminded of who we are at our core and we want to remember what defines us. And through this reminder, this meditation, we will be prepared to participate in the Lord's Supper together, and we will be motivated to live out the work that God has worked in us. Be motivated to live out the work that God has worked in us. The first item that we want to notice is that the cross is a symbol of obedience. The cross is a symbol of obedience. Let's take a look, please, through the Gospels, uh, particularly the Gospel of John. Take a look at John chapter 4 to begin with. These words, all uh, three of these passages that you see on the screen in front of you, are words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and in these passages one after the other that we will see is we're going to recognize that Jesus Christ came not to do his own will but the will of his father who sent him and this directed the Lord Jesus Christ John chapter 4 in verse 34 Jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Look at the next chapter, John chapter five and verse 30. John 5:30. "I can do nothing on my own. as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me." Look now at chapter six. And verse 38, John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. This dictated the way the Lord Jesus navigated through His earthly life and ministry. He came to do the will of the One who sent Him. That's the Father. He came and He obeyed every demand of the Father, every plan of the Father, every law of Scripture, every law of man. Jesus obeyed, fulfilling perfectly the Old Testament law and the requirement for righteousness. When He came toward the end of His ministry, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Now in ver- chapter 14, we have that upper room dis- communication. He tells them, I'm going away, but I'm going to come again. Remember that. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. Chapter 15, he talks about the Spirit and, and His uh, working and, and how you can do nothing without Jesus. Uh, chapter 16, more information about the Spirit. As you get to chapter 17, he prays. And, and we're, we're just about... We're just about at the place where the Lord Jesus lays His life down for as a once-for-all sacrifice. Listen to these words from John 17.4. I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work that You gave Me to do. What are we saying here? What is Jesus saying? I did everything You told Me to do. We'll remember the scene when Jesus was... was being crucified, and He said those amazing words, it is finished. He did exactly what He came to do. That was to lay His life down as a ransom for many. You see that in Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life As a ransom for many. Jesus' obedience forms the basis of our justification. His righteous acts from birth to crucifixion are the deeds that are attributed to the believer's account At justification, when we call upon the name of the Lord and we're saved, not only is our sin removed, but Jesus' righteousness is added. The cross would be insufficient without Jesus' perfect obedience to the Lord. Perfect obedience to the law. The cross would be insufficient without Jesus' perfect and full obedience. But he did obey. And as a result, all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ receive eternal life. This is the benefit that comes to those who recognize God's solution to our sin. Not only is the cross a symbol of obedience, the cross is a symbol of judgment. The cross is a symbol of judgment. Judgment. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 2 for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 2, we'll start reading in verse 1. Our emphasis is in verse 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have received, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience, Received a, will you say it with me? Just retribution. Or I believe the King James Version is a just recompense of reward. I love that expression. A reward sounds good. Well, reward for disobedience is other than good. We call that judgment. Judgment. And the Bible is telling us here in Hebrews chapter 2 that there's not one. Violation of the law that is not accounted for. Well, the cross, as a symbol of judgment, lets you and it lets me know that God doesn't just sweep our sin away and, as a benevolent, forgiving being, just say, It doesn't matter. Your sin doesn't matter. This is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible requires a judgment for sin. And the cross stands as a symbol of that judgment. Because on that cross, the Lord Jesus became sin for us, even though He knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God through Him. The Lord Jesus paid that price. Listen to this word uh, from Proverbs 11.21. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished. Those are heavy words. And you know why they're so heavy? Because the Bible says all have Sinned. The Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's me. And that's you. That's us. And God says that will not go unpunished. So the cross, being a symbol of judgment is vital to us take a look at 1 corinthians chapter 1 1 corinthians chapter 1 the love of god i'm going to try to say this nicely and carefully the love of god is cheapened by many in the cross-bearing world to wear a cross around our neck to have crosses on our Ears, or a cross on a uniform or a cross on a stage. Just the cross doesn't mean the same thing from one person to the next from their understanding of it. And so much of professing Christendom proclaims a loving God but lessens the holiness and justice and righteousness of God, and in doing so, because they want to make people feel better about who God is, they actually cheapen God's love because God's love doesn't stand as as great, as vast, and encompassing when we don't understand how holy and righteous and just God really is. That every sin must be accounted for. That, that God does not embrace sin and cannot embrace sin, but instead that sin must be dealt with. And the cross stands as a symbol of God's willingness to overcome my sin. To overcome your sin. And to provide me with a mercy that I do not deserve. A mercy that I could never earn. It's a mercy that is earned by another. God's Justice against my sin as a believer has been fully taken care of in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Let's make, it, let, let's make the cross... More palatable. It's not going to happen, friends. Not the saving cross. Oh, you can get them to rally around something that's Christian ish, but being Christian ish does not save a person. We need to actually rally around Christ, He is the Savior. And so, if I want to have access to the Father, I've got to go through Christ and I've got to go His way. And I have to understand the devastating consequences of my sin. And yet, the world says it's foolishness, the cross. Well, I'm not going to try to make it something that it's not. The only way a person comes from recognizing the cross as foolish to recognizing the cross as saving is when God uses His word and His spirit to produce life. So what do I do? Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. The truth of the gospel God uses. Let's continue. Not only is it foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It's the power of God. The cross, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. For whom? Everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. This is good news, friends. So we preach the gospel. Look down a little further at verses 21 and following. Crucifixion was probably the most cruel method of execution in that generation. It deliberately delayed death until the maximum torture had been inflicted. This is just a reality. According to the Gentile mind, according to John Stott, when the Romans adopted it, meaning crucifixion, they reserved it for criminal, uh, for criminals convicted of murder, rebellion, or armed robbery, provided that they were also slaves, foreigners, see the rest of that? Or other non-persons. In other words when the Romans decided to crucify someone, they had decided this person is kind of like a creature. Kind of like a dog. Kind of like a bear in the woods. Unrefined. They didn't see the image of God in that person. And they certainly weren't Roman citizens. According to Cicero, to bind a Roman is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To kill him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. How could any sane person worship as a god a dead man who had been justly condemned as a criminal and subjected to the most humiliating form of execution? This combination of death... Crime and shame put Him, Jesus, beyond the pale of respect, let alone worship. And yet, the universal symbol of Christianity, those who follow Christ, is this cross. Because upon that cross, Jesus received a payment for my sin. Him the just, for me the unjust. Not only do the Gentiles think that way about this, the the Jews also feel strongly about one that would hang upon a tree. Because in God's own Word, He tells us that it's a curse for a person to die as a criminal upon a tree. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy 21. I'm just going to mention the last phrase there. You can take a look there. Underlined and bolded and made big. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Accursed of God. And Paul reiterates this in the book of Galatians, chapter 3 and verse 13, where God says this Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so it would make sense for the Jewish mind to think poorly upon someone who is crucified because God says this is a curse and they're cursed by God. And in fact, He was. Which is why as Jesus hung on that cross, He cried out, My God! My God! Why have You forsaken Me? As He became sin for us, though He knew no sin. The cross is a symbol of judgment as well as a symbol of of obedience, But it's also a symbol of mercy and grace. And I've been intimating toward that during this last portion. The cross is a symbol of mercy and grace. We already looked at Galatians 6.14. Listen to this again. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is, this is everything. Why, why would Paul... And why would I boast in the cross? Well, listen to these verses of Scripture. Isaiah 53.5 But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Listen to this passage in 2 Corinthians 5.21 I've mentioned it several times already. But He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is mercy. And this is grace. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The, the cross is a symbol of mercy. Mercy. Mercy for whom? All who call upon the name of the Lord. It's a sign of grace. For whom? All who have trusted Jesus as their only means of eternal salvation. God provides for us through the cross mercy, the forgiveness of our sin. And grace, a gift we did not deserve. What kind of a gift? The gift of righteousness that leads to eternal life. This is God's glorious grace. That's what the cross is about. The cross is about Jesus' obedience. The cross is about God's judgment for sin. The, gro- the cross is about God's mercy and grace poured out. Finally, the cross is a symbol of victory. The cross is a symbol of victory. Take a look with me, please, at Isaiah 53. And look, please, with me at verse 12. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. Who's the him here? It's the lamb that's spoken of in this passage. The suffering servant. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There's there's something in this passage that we've got to recognize. He's talking about Jesus dividing the portion, right? but he's, He's being crucified. And He talks about Jesus bearing the sin of many while He's crucified. And then He talks about this crucified One as making intercession... Well, if he's dead, if he's dead, where's the intercession coming from? Oh, that's right. You know the rest of the story, don't you? You see, the cross is not just about what happened leading up to or while Jesus hung upon the cross. The cross has an aftermath because our cross is empty. Why is our cross empty? Because the tomb is empty. How did the tomb become empty? God raised Him from the dead. Well, that's a symbol of victory in and of itself. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. Concerning His Son, He was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power. How? How, did he become, be, uh, how was He declared to be the Son of God in power? According to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. This is Jesus Christ, Savior, Anointed One, our Lord, our Head, our King, our God. Declared to be the Son of God in power. How? Because God raised Him from the dead. We look at a cross and we see an empty cross, don't you? I don't want one with someone hanging on it. He's not there anymore. And I don't want to violate the commandment that tells me not to worship an idol, right? You do with that what you think you need to do in accordance with the Scriptures. I, I have in my mind, a picture of a cross with no one on it because He's not there. He died once for sins. And He is alive for how long? Forevermore. Hallelujah! What a God we serve! The cross is a symbol of God's victorious accomplishments through Christ. Which is how, when you get to the Book of Philippians chapter two and you're reading verses two through eight, we're talking about Jesus humbling himself and how we should be humble like he was. And then it talks about how he humbled himself even to the, even to the point of death, even the death on the cross. It's humiliating, naked, bloodied death. But that's not how it ends. He's been exalted to the highest place. And He's been given a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What are they going to confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is victory, friends. The cross is not just judgment, but it's not just love. It's not just mercy. It's not just grace. It, it is obedience. It is judgment. It is mercy and grace. And it is victory. Because up from the grave He arose. You know, the, the way that Paul ends Ephesians chapter 1, which we don't have time to turn to, because he says, I want you to know something about the power of God. And the power of God is demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ in that He's been raised up. That He is ascended. That He resides far above every principality, power, might, and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this life, but in the life to come. This is the power of God. And the cross demonstrates that Jesus Christ has been declared to be God over all. Glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. This is who He is. And the cross points me to that. Are you a cross person? Has the world been crucified to you? And have you been crucified to the world because of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ? The cross of Jesus Christ is at the heart of Christian teaching and it's at the heart of who we are. We live under the reality and blessings of Jesus' work on the cross. And therefore, I have a few applications for you to consider today. We should live without fear for Jesus took our punishment or our judgment. I think this concept of the fear being removed sets us free not to live as we desire in our flesh. It sets us free to obey God from the heart rather than from fear. Don't you want to obey God Don't you want to do what the Bible says? Why? Because God has taken the sting out of judgment. Because Jesus took that for us. Secondly, we should live in obedience to the Word of God. For the cross would have had no meaning if Jesus had not fully obeyed. Thirdly, we should live Extending mercy and grace to others in the same way that we have received it. Sila. You know what sila is? It's a, it's a musical notation in the Psalms that tells you to pause and ponder. My friends, we can never feel justified in holding a grudge. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Fourthly, we should live victoriously, for we have been granted resurrection power. Now we didn't develop that concept that much, but you can look at Philippians chapter three, verses 11 and uh, 10 and 11, for, for more thinking on that. But God is able to give you and I victory over sinful practices like fear, anxiety, covetousness selfishness, and anger. God can give us victory because we have resurrection power. At the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, not only did God remove your sin and add righteousness to your record, you have an eternal destiny with Him. He also has given us His Spirit to dwell within us. And that Spirit, God the Spirit, enables us to live a life that pleases God the cross of jesus christ comes into full focus in our celebration of the lord's supper father we are thankful that your son's work on the cross is sufficient to deal with every one of our sins it's sufficient to provide perpetual cleansing and an eternal record of righteousness. We rejoice in this. And we ask that You would help us as we celebrate together this ordinance, this command that You have told us to involve ourselves in. Help us to do so worshipfully, worthily, for Your glory's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.